This is our Suburb Health Report for January 2023, and we'll be looking at what property investors need to know when they're looking at investing across this country. In this episode, we'll be discussing green shoots in the property market. Yes, you heard me right. It's been all doom and gloom throughout 2022 with regular predictions of 15% price falls. But the data is suggesting a different story in some parts of the market. Welcome to the Elephant in the Room. This is the podcast where we love to talk about the big things in property that never usually get talked about. I'm Veronica Morgan, real estate agent, buyer's agent and buyer's agent mentor, co-host of Foxtel's Location, Location, Location Australia, author of Auction Ready and co-host of Your First Home Buyer Guide. And I'm Chris Bates, mortgage broker, recently ranked number five in Australia out of over 18,000 brokers in the annual MPA Top 100 Mortgage Broker Award. Before we get started, I need to let you know that nothing we say here can be taken as personal advice. We always recommend you engage the services of an appropriate and experienced professional. So this month, we've asked Kent to see if he can see any areas of the market where there are signs to support the view that the worst is behind us. So can you kick us off briefly by explaining how you tackle this challenge, Kent? Yes, what I've done is I've taken our statistical area threes, we call them SA threes, I've uh, taken a rolling 90-day sample and I've looked at that over the last couple of years and I've taken the peak and I've looked at where it's bottomed out and where those prices are starting to increase again. So to enter the list, I've set the criteria of it needs to have increased by two consecutive months. So the price, the SA3 rolling median need to, needs to have increased uh, month on month, so two consecutive months of increase, and the inventory level for that SA3 needs to have decreased. So that's how I came up with a shortlist. Then what I've done is I've swept through those and visualized all of the uh, the charts, had a look at all the charts, look at the listings, look at the sales, and I've s- selected some that I, I've got a, a lot more confidence in that they are going to uh, continue to increase, and others that are most likely to either marginally increase or, or be fairly flat into the first few months. So they're all looking okay. Um, there's a list of about 35 SA3s that have uh, made made the, uh, the short list. How many, just to give us a bit of context there, how many properties do you think um, would be in an SA3? Um, there's 350 SA3s around the country and give or take. Uh, how many properties in the country? About, I think we're up to million, about roughly. 10 and a half billion now. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, just you know, divide uh, divide those two. So um, About 30,000? Uh, yeah, <laughs> give or take. So, they, some go a, a lot higher than that. Yeah, um, for sure. So if you look at the, uh, if you look at the uh, ABS data, they do give you the range on their website. I think they go 30 to 100,000 or something to that effect. Um, so they do vary significantly in size. And in terms of the geographical spread, some of the regional rural ones have a really broad area, oh. whereas you get into the inner city and they can com- be quite condensed. So yeah, one of the most condensed ones, say, uh, eastern suburbs north, which kind of kicks in north at Quilla Valley up to the harbour and then you know into the city there. So let's we'll get into what patterns you've seen or, or interesting anomalies as well. So patterns and anomalies, you like both ends of that. But also, just before we get into that, you're talking about two months of consecutive price growth, but also low inventory. One of the reasons that we've got low inventory across the country at the moment is because there's a well-publicized downturn. 
And I guess we're recording this in December. We'll be releasing this episode of January. So if we get a little bit confused, it's kind of a bit confusing <laughs> when we're talking about, bear, please bear that in mind, that we're looking sort of what we're seeing at the end of 2022 and what this sort of might, might uh, lead us into 2023. But so we have experienced across the country well-publicized um, stock shortages of new listings, right? And that often happens because when the market downturns, People think, okay, if I don't have to sell, why would I? Why would I put my property in the market if I'm a discretionary seller um, and I'm not guaranteed of getting my price? So that often props up a market and it holds markets sort of to be more firm or more stable because you don't have this sort of mass selling. So I guess one thing I just want to put in the back of your mind, so as we have this conversation, is that if prices started moving northwards in some areas, maybe that might precipitate a flood of listings which might kill it again. Anyway, What's, let's just... Yeah, it's interesting because um, I would argue most of the markets in our list, in the short list, have actually seen listings volumes increasing. Oh. So, so now the interpretation I have is that prices have fallen sufficiently in these markets to attract buyers. Yep. So, mm. a, you know, a lot, especially some of these very expensive areas, yep. highly sought after areas. Um, so you've got a number of these markets that have fallen, and typically the the average price that they've come down by, till I'm just having a quick look here, about fifteen percent. So of this short list, they've fallen, the 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 median's fallen by about fifteen percent, but some of them have fallen much higher. So right. you've got areas that have fallen, say thirty odd percent or thirty three percent. You've got a couple of blips in there that are higher than that, that are just odd distributions because they're their rural location. So I'm not going to worry about the ones that had the the forty percent that's that's irrelevant but there are a number in here that are you know 20 odd percent up to 33 percent so the 33 percent for example chatswood lane cove area that's a pretty uh, sought after marketplace so a lot of that's compositional so uh. to your point um what we're seeing more and more now is that a lot of people who are in the market established owners know not to sell in downtimes. So yep. they, they hold back. So you can see a significant compositional shift in many of these markets. But with regards to listings volumes, the surprising thing is a lot of these markets have seen increases in listings, but what we're seeing is demand keeping up with that or starting to surpass that wow. suffice to bring inventory down. So uh, it's an interesting analysis. There's always lags to all of this stuff, um, but there's a couple of areas. What I'll, what I'll do is when we go through the list, I'll pick some of the ones uh, that I've got a lot more confidence in uh, and others that I've got less confidence in because something there could be an anomaly. It could be a blip. Uh, things could turn, especially those that are still seeing increases in listings. So I, all it might, might take is just that little bit of a downturn in demand where listings are still building and things could turn for the worst. I think that comp compositional bias is a real issue in downturns where, you know, people can perpetuate a negative news story very easily because you're talking their Chatswood, right? Like you could easily say, right, that Chatswood SA3 has had a 33 drop in the median value. Whereas, you know, you dig a little bit deeper and go, well, a lot of people in houses are sitting on their hands. Um, in that area, there is a lot of apartments and they're transacting more than the houses and it's bringing down the median. And I think this is just a danger right now. You know, there's some big people out there, you know, peddling the the falls in media values, et cetera, but not going to this detail that we're going to do today and not talking about what's actually happening on the, you know, the internal dynamics of those markets, you know, what's happening to the housing markets versus the apartment markets. So 
You know, where are we starting to see support? Where are we not starting to see support? And I think that's the educated conversation right now, not just, hey, prices are falling, they're going to continue to fall forever. Um, so I was really interested to, so because we were on the ground of seeing this, we, I think the, the falls in the, a lot of our clients are that high income couples and family market, as you know, they're the markets that fell the, that went up the most, but also fell the hardest because borrowing capacities really impact them. You know, they were really stretching a lot of the clients that they were backing, they were going to earn more money in the future. So they're willing to take on a big multiple income today because they know in five years time, their income today is likely to be a much higher because um, of promotion or, you know, et cetera. So um, they've, a lot of that sort of upgraded market and even the first home buyer have had to reduce their budget significantly in these markets. But once those adjustments happened, which is almost fl- flown through, they're now saying, okay, well, I still need to get on with it. I still need, I still want to buy my first home. I still need to upgrade, but I'm not going to look at that area anymore. I'm going to look at this area and I'm not going to spend that. I'm going to spend this because the rates are going to be higher. Um, and they've also been out in the marketplace. A lot of them have been burned for, you know, 2019, 2020, 2021, haven't bought or even the start of this year. And they're just like, well, now's the time to actually take advantage. I don't want this window to close on me. Um, and so we're already seeing the buyer's mentality and the urgency is completely shifted, which goes along along the lines of what we're going to talk about today. Yeah, look, that, that's a really good point. Um, I did an analysis of just the capital city areas. So I grouped all the SA3s that belong to the capital cities. And I did this as of October and I split them up by price band. And I yeah. looked at how far since their peak, what's the average fall since their peak. The under 750K market was really surprising. Now, the bulk of these are in Adelaide and, and WA or, or Perth, but the average fall there was minus 6%. Whereas if we go right to the other extreme, which is the over 2 million, there were a sample of 14 SA3s that were yep. in that over 2 million mark. That fell by minus 17% on average from, from peak. So you can see, and, and when you look at all the price brackets in between, um, you can see the next one up 750 to 1 mil minus 10%. And then you know, the other end going down minus 14. So the biggest loss, the biggest change in price was the over 2 million. A lot of that 2 million plus market, however, is there's massive compositional shifts oh. that go on there, massive, whereas there's a lot less shift in, in those lower price markets Makes because they're, they're, they're fairly homogenous. And the, yeah, and the two things that really leapt out for me was that, definitely the compositional, the, the variation or the distribution that's going to be in the more expensive properties, but also in that lower end, obviously you've got high first home buyers that um, are in that lower end and will have to adjust their 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 target property and their markets and all the rest as their borrowing capacity reduces. But you've also got investors in that marketplace. And particularly when you talk about Adelaide and Perth, there's been so much noise out there in investor circles. I tried to spend not too much time in investor forums, to be quite frank, but there's been a lot of bloody noise about those two cities in particular. And there's always the affordability conversation when it comes to investment oh where can I afford you know a, a bigger property or I don't it doesn't even make sense if you really pull it apart but it's the way that the mentality goes and certainly you know a lot of that talk has been chatter has been around Perth in particular and I know right. Adelaide as well and before then before Brisbane went crazy it was Brisbane it's the same thinking yeah, it's true. And with that affordability, my preference for affordability is to look at the local household uh, income level 
and then express that as how many years to buy. So demographia, mm. demographia have theirs. Uh, and you effectively say, well, how many years of household income does it take to cover the median? And use that as your affordability metric. And wow. I've been increasingly using that. And there's some really interesting areas that turn up that you, if you set a limit of, say, 10 years and below, um, it does spit out a lot of interesting suburbs. I love that. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so let's get into some of these suburbs that are, or these areas, SA3, sorry, that um, are showing green shoots. Take us, talk uh, us through what's happening, what you're yeah, seeing so anyway. I'll focus on some of the ones that when I look at the sh shape of all of the data in terms of listings volumes, uh, look at prices, look at inventory and the trend, the ones that I'll talk about first up are the ones I've got a lot more confidence that they are going, this trend yeah. will continue. Nah. Um I'll maybe start with one that you're more comfortable with, um, Sydney in a, in a city, an example suburb, Newtown. Oh. So um, when you look at that, and I thought it was a great one to start with, it's obviously one of the more expensive ones. And when you look at this list that I do have, 77% of the areas are under 1.5 mil. No. So a lot of the ones that are being, we'll call it resilience, it could be resilience, but it could also be how attractive these markets are because- um, especially if you're in one of these markets that are highly sought after and they genuinely have dropped by more than 10%. Um, there's a lot of buyers out there who can afford to buy and would like to buy in those areas. And they've been so tight for so long. So, so to see listings go up in some of these markets, people have been waiting for that for a long time. So, so we had a client buyer. buy in around Newtown on the weekend, the uh, house... Um, there's no way in the world they would have been able to buy this property last year. Um, the competition would have been too. It's a massive north-facing block um, on a great street. Um, and, you know, they already live in the inner west, um, but they've just had their, you know, they've got a child and they may have another one. And, um, you know, they've got a, a, a smaller terrace somewhere else in the inner west, but it didn't really make sense. It was like a really well done two bed. Didn't really make sense to, you know, throw a third bed and make it all, um, you know, dysfunctional basically. Um, so they had to upgrade and they, and you know, th they were in a position where they're doing well financially, you know, they're ones in a business, one's got a job, but, um, and so they're, they're a must do upgrader. Um, but they are looking at the market and going like, let's not try to time this to perfection. Let's just try to get a really good asset. Um, and let's just wait for that right block of land. And then when it is, let's just go on. And so that's, that's the shift, right? Like six months ago, they would have been like, oh, interest rates are going to go through the roof really scared now they're like actually prices have corrected um and now i actually have this opportunity to get into an upgrade where i may not i couldn't do that last year because the market was too hot and i don't want to miss the opportunity next year and so i can i can already see why that aligns to your story there can yeah because people are looking at it like that newtown's a forever home suburb um you know this is a, a suburb that people don't want to you know miss that opportunity and you know they if they can potentially get in before competition really builds and um so the i think the prices looks like it's come down by around 18 percent since yeah. its peak so that's my current figures um but uh it, this it one looks... in particular probably was over 20 percent like okay and so it's mid twos to definitely over three last year um and so it's a it's a big j drop that you know uh that someone's looking at it and that's why i think you always find flaws in these suburbs is because People are actually now looking and going, actually, it's really good buying compared to what it was last year. And that started to change people's um, desire to take on risk or to take on a bigger mortgage 
because they see value in it compared to what it was in the past. Um, it's been over a year since yeah. peak. So it's had a full year to correct uh, and for people to start to get excited to re-enter. Yeah. So that was the first one. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll go down the list now from the, the top down. So um, Rockingham in WA and Albany in WA. Now, these guys haven't fallen uh, significantly because they're not high price. So I'm going from the lowest price now through up. Um, uh, another one um, in Jandicott's a suburb. I don't know if it's pronounced Coburn or Cockburn. Um, I'm guessing Coburn. <clears throat> yes. Um, another one, Preston. Uh, a- suburb. An example suburb here is Preston in Victoria. Darabin North is the SA3. Says another one. I'll get into a couple now that we're probably all a little bit more familiar with. Um, Auburn in uh, in Sydney. Mm-hmm. So the example sub. So the SA three is called Auburn, but the sample suburb is Auburn. Um, that one, <coughs> excuse me. I've got a, a fair degree of confidence that that's actually turned the corner. Um, and the the, the prices there in November twenty twenty one are about one point three. And I'll go through to where it is right now. It's um, it is about one point three now, so it's kind of just back to where it, where it was. Um, the next one is um, uh, Mujarabar Talibajra, so up in that southeast Queensland pocket. You know that that those areas are very diverse. Um, so um, price there. About give give or take right now it's about one point three million the median for that SA three, uh, and it peaked about nine months ago. So uh, it does look like it's uh, turned the corner as well. It has lost about eight percent, so not a massive drop, but enough to obviously entice people. And it's still attractive. People are still exiting the cities and still doing their move. I know that there's been some headlines saying the other, but. Uh, I don't see, you know, a lot of people downsizing. They don't want to, you know, still stay in the same suburb. They're looking to go somewhere else. Um, Broadbeach, Burley is yeah. another one. So that's a that particular market there that fell by twenty one percent based on my data. Um, so we're we talking houses or apartments here. Houses only. Houses, houses. only yeah. houses. We're talking. Yeah, I would say that's we've had a couple of clients buy up the Gold Coast region recently. Um, and yeah, it's just taken time for some of the people looking to migrate, um, you know, out of the capital cities just to get the confidence with work, you know, to get transfers with work. Maybe it's things, you know, with babies and maternity leaves and new jobs and, you know, finding a place. It's just, there is a bit of a lag effect where I think some of the buyers who wanting to make these big lifestyle shifts, and that's one of the pockets, obviously Sunshine Coast, Gold Coast, you know, Sunshine Coast, um, uh, even another one up in Byron recently, et cetera. So, you know, they, they, they wanted to do it for the last few years. It's not to say they, um, are a bit, they've just been late to the party for just, you know, busy, you know, just sorting out the logistics of it. So, um, yeah. The, um, the Richmond Valley coastal area, um, is in the list, but it's, I'm not confident enough. So it's, it's there, but it, there's a possibility it could be a, a bit of a data blip. Yeah, listings volumes are still going up significantly, so it yeah. won't take too much for demand to come off the throttle um, for it to to dip again. So uh, again, it's 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 in the other. I've color I've colorized my list here, and the ones that I'm not confident are in yellow. 
Yeah. Um, a couple of more in green, Burundara, example suburb Q. We're starting to get into the 2 million plus market now. Uh, ride Hunters Hill, so an example suburb, Hunters Hill. Um, fairly expensive suburb. To, you know, um, what's it at the moment? I'll just go and check what that area, the broad area is. About 2.6 million, the average for that SA3. Now it fell by about 15%. So in that sort of, you know, uh, in an east Melbourne pocket, um, you know, and this is, the, it's not what you just read in the papers, right? A client literally tried to buy a property last week. Guy was low twos. who went 15 to 20% above the guide. Um, and a massive, like they made an offer. It was like 15% of 10, 5% above the top of the range. Um, so, and you know, that was told by the agent and that was a pretty good chance. It went over a hundred grand more than that, just due to competition, multiple people. This thing was due for auction, but they created like an early bidder event. Um, and you know, our client thought they would get it, you know, and absolutely devastated, but it was a top quality asset. Like, you know, a great frontage on a great street, a great block, you know, great reno potential. Um, and it just went hot. Like it's just anyone else, you know, so. You know, when you look at all these sort of big media stories, markets falling, et cetera, well, how's that, you know, when you, when you go to try to buy a property that's that quality in a suburb, look what's happened in this market. So uh, that makes sense to me, Ken, that you start yeah. to see um, support there as well. Well, so especially these areas that do look like buyers are coming back in, but listings are going up. What that does tell me is that it offers up some higher quality streets. Huh. Back to the stop, top streets argument too. So knowing... Um, you know, where the, the, the better pockets are and, you know, suddenly finding stock that you haven't found uh, for the last few yep. years, probably longer than a few years, like five, six years, it's been rather, rather hard to find anything. So, um, so that's the, the, the list that I've got. There were the ones that I was fairly confident that, you know, entering into 2023, the prices will continue to go up. There's well, a num what, number. Tell, before you sort of move into the, the yellow list. Um, yes. What what gives you the confidence? Um, I it, it, the trend line looks like the listings volumes aren't going up so much in the ones that are in the in the green. Uh. So the slope or the shift in listings volume isn't increasing that rapidly. So that um, if there's a slight dip in demand, it will bring your inventory level back up. Whereas the, the, the yellow list has a fairly significant increase in listings volumes. Right. So it won't take too much in terms of demand to ease back for things to slip. Got um, it. Because, and, and this is something that can, we can get confused or we can forget that listings and inventory are two different things. You know, listings being new property coming into the market and inventory being the total property, the total amount of property available for sale. Yeah, how many months of yeah, inventory? Yeah. So the theory being, if nothing else listed today, how many months would it take mm. to clear the shelves? Yeah, yeah. And you know, and and typically we always used to say, I always used to say, in, uh, equilibrium, four to five months. But I probably lower That's just that now. Way too long. Way too much. Um, <laughs> so I've changed that now. You know, a lot of the literature, a lot of the American standards, still say four, five, six months. Um, but I'm going to probably argue it's a bit lower now. You know, three to four months is probably where we're at for equilibrium. But we've been faced with so many markets that have been one and two months. We've still got a yeah. lot of suburbs that are below one month of inventory. So 
just because the headlines are saying, yeah, the markets are in 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 state of bother. Um, there's a lot of suburbs that are just so tight right now that it's you, no matter what, it's hard to buy. Yeah, and it's an interesting, you know, being on the ground, seeing this um, in some of these areas. It's always interesting when you do read a headline, you see that bears zero zero relevance to what is going on here, and then yet there are. It's a portion of the market that will be reactive to those headlines and not understand the nuance, which is why I just think it's so good you coming on and that you can actually help lift the lid. I mean, our, we, the feedback we get from our listeners on these episodes is fantastic because it really is about nuance. It really is about asking better questions, being curious, not taking these headlines as face value. Um, and that's why some of the commentators, I just, you know, I was yelling at the yelling at the newspaper or yelling at the little screen or the big screen or whatever when I'm hearing about it because it just fails to take into account all this sort of stuff. And if people make decisions based on that aggregated data, then they're going to make bad decisions, poor decisions. But this is this is all, in you know, good meaty stuff. But I, I, look, I head, understand Ken? that podcast format is suits this type of discussion, yeah. in-depth yeah. review, whereas a newspaper really has to be about a headline and a story. Yeah. Can we oh, I'm going to put you on the spot here, Ken. In terms of that, can you flip it to the Reds and see where, you know, you're still seeing some price grind. You're seeing, you know, inventory stack up, right? Um, price, you know, medians are falling. Not Maybe not also compositional buyers. Like this is literally, you know, prices just continue to fall. Because, you know, if rates stay high, these suburbs, you know, people will start thinking, do I really want to go into a, you know, a 6% mortgage, you know? Um, and, and something just for our listeners to know right now, bank discounts are basically counteracting the rate increases. The discounts we're getting on new home loans is just unheard of. Like it is ginormous compared to what the discounts were six to 12 months ago. Um, and, you know, the margins the banks are making on new customers is so tight now because they're having to provide bigger and bigger discounts to new customers. Even if you just got a mortgage and you call up your bank, you could probably save yourself anywhere from 30 to 50 basis points by just giving them a call. Um, they're all providing an amazing retention policy. We're going through every single one of our clients right now um, and just lodging pricing. Um, and some of them are getting 60, 70, 80 basis points off their mortgage just by us asking for better pricing because the banks are so scared of losing customers right now. So, um yeah, and, and so, yes, rates are going up, but then also their customer rates are actually coming back down to offset the rate increase. You, you're increasing, yeah, you're getting a better home loan rate. So where are those sort of areas, though, Kent, where, you know, in a world of 5 6% interest rates, which we're probably um, almost there, you know, maybe another two, maybe one more rate rise and we're in the fives, um, just because how a lot of customers are already paying fives and sixes, you know, because they're on old rates, but new customers, where are we seeing... Where people are going to say, hang on a sec, do I really want to go into a $700,000 mortgage and pay 5% interest rates to buy that property? Huh? And I think the other thing is the rental um, shortage is actually forcing people to buy. Uh, I, I've got a few clients, even the one this morning, you know, the stress around renting right now and, you know, just no. trying to rent a one better in, in Sydney, like 700 bucks a week. He's like, well, I've got that place. I might as well just move into that one. Like people are just anxious around renting just as much as buying. So it's forcing a lot of people just to buy rather than rent, which is obviously not a great decision sometimes, but that's also supporting the market, I think. Um, 
where people are going, well, I can't even find a great rental property. I might as well just buy something. Um, there's a number of areas that have um, only really peaked in the last couple of months or are at that point where they could be starting to fall. So there's there's at least 45 areas that have only really peaked in the last two or three months. So right. they're late How, to the party. Late to the party. Right. Or it could be a data blip. It's mm. either or. So where but you do- forty five. It's quite a yeah. lot. <laughs> so it's quite a lot. Um, is so, this a lot in SA and WA? Um, I'm just looking through now. Look, there, there is. The, you've nailed that. Uh, WA, SA were very late to this. And it takes a long time going to, to travel, that, I guess. And if, they, if they're <laughs> not an expensive area, I don't- I don't believe their dips will be substantial yeah. um, because of the uh, other analysis we've done right. so far. So, uh, you know, I don't see the the 20% being applicable to an area that's got a median of 350 or 400K. Uh, um, so, so, you know, there's there's certain areas, Butterham and Bundaberg at the lower end of the list here. And, you know, I, I'm, I'm looking through Ipswich and Bow Desert. So a few of these kind of areas. Yeah. Uh, um, Again, I think that they uh, are yet to dip, but I just don't see it. So you've almost got to isolate the areas where the prices are above 1.5 to say where will the biggest dips happen um, hmm. based on that earlier analysis. So, you know, I would need to probably filter it and do it properly. Otherwise, I'll, I'll, I'll make some blanket statement when I'll, I'll, I'll trip up. But uh, in summary, there's a lot of these areas that uh, are a lot of them that are late to the party that are about to have peaked or about to peak, um, but so many of them are below 500K that I don't expect yep. much more than 5 or 6%. And in a, I guess, a higher higher interest rate environment, because you still wouldn't call this high interest rates, would you? Um, higher interest rate environment, of course, the appeal of that lower price point for both people trying to get into the market and also investors is, is a little bit enduring, isn't it? Well, yeah, I've got a theory here is that yeah. Um, uh, yeah, with with uh, interest rate movement, affordability goes down. So therefore, I shift from the highest price, what I could afford, I move down. So I either shift right. down That's a gear true. in terms of house selection yeah. or I shift down a gear in terms of suburb selection into something that is now within my the realm of my affordability. And I think that's the reason why the lower end price segments have held up well is Yes, they've lost demand, but they've gained demand from a higher bracket that's re-entered. Yeah, which when the dust all settles and, and we sort of get used to this new reality, is that sustainable? I, th I th The affordability argument is it's taken on a whole new realm now because yeah. you know, we, we've got so many people that are effectively spending every ounce that they can get their hands on. In terms of rent, the same. So rent's probably a more pure market to analyse this stuff. Uh, and if you do the correlation between household income and rents, it's amazing how correlated those two are. Whereas the correlation with mortgages is what can I, what's my borrowing capacity, and what you know, so what the mortgage size is, and what throws the model out is obviously people have already got assets. Yeah. They've already got wealth. So it's, you know, so it's second, third home stuff. And that throws your models out. Or Whereas, they just could have bought it 10 years ago. And so it's still worth what it's worth. Yeah. But their mortgage is tiny. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I, I'd, um, so I think affordability 
has got a lot to answer for now and this is going to have a flow-on effect to, to how housing market dynamics work. <laughs> People will be chasing affordability. They'll be chasing the different asset classes in the city because they cannot afford a house. So that's suddenly going to change unit markets like we've not seen before. It already has. Yeah. So, you know, whereas I'd shy away from units on the podcast a couple of years ago, um, I've got a slightly different view now because people can't really afford a $2 million house in Sydney. Well, that's always been an argument, and Chris and I have often talked about this in Sydney specifically because of that, um, the high cost of houses in the inner ring in particular, and people will face that choice between a commute or um, living in a unit. And so we have seen a higher, I guess, acceptance of unit living um, amongst people that are faced with that, that choice and have chosen to stay closer in. And that has actually, we've seen, I've seen certainly on the ground, quality apartments, highly competitive. I mean, I even at the moment, I mean, the clearance rates the last couple of weekends in Sydney has been just just over the 60% mark. So that's just, you know, that's come down actually on the average since the end of July. Uh, we've been well in the 60s for most of the those last, three, last few months. So we're just, just nudging into that sort of balanced market territory rather than being a buyer's market. Yeah. And so a couple of auctions that I've been to recently, one was last weekend, you know, it was an oversized two-bedroom, two-bathroom, two-parking apartment in Surrey Hills and four registered bidders, all of which, including us, got our hands in the air and the owner, we had it, we were acting for an investor, we were outgunned by owner-occupiers um, and quite a few parents, you know, I think yeah. there's parents involved as well. But, you know, that's such a quality asset, such a rare asset, getting that size of property. The location was absolutely A-grade um, and the double parking. And for, as I said, you rarely get to an auction where you've got four people register and all four get their hands in the air. You know, you never see 100% people putting their hand in the air. And, yeah, sure, in a hot market, maybe we would have seen 15 people register. You know, it, it's, it's certainly sort of property would have seen a lot more people register. But everyone that registered was active and able to, to you know, to go for that. And... You would think that some of those people looking at that could have been in the house looking in, in for houses as well. Yeah. But, you know, this is bigger than a house, certainly bigger than a house at the same price. Hmm. I do so, think people are getting a little bit um, more, I guess, what's the word? I guess a bit imaginative with their search. They are saying, look, maybe that stereotypical, let's just get a house. Actually, maybe we under higher rates, maybe we should try to make find a house, you know, a townhouse that's got three or four beds. You know, it is making people feel a bit more cautious and making people say, look, can I get a housing solution rather than the aspirational? But they're still being super picky. So they're saying, look, Blech. I'm going to go for that, but it's got to tick all these boxes for me to make that compromise. Um, but we're definitely seeing that. We saw, you know, a client that was typically a house buyer buying a townhouse um, in the inner northwest pocket, I guess you call it, of, of Sydney um, a few weeks ago. Um, and that, and part of their decision was, you know, if we go for the house and we do get more rate increases and we do need to, and building costs stay high, how are we ever going to afford to renovate it? No. So maybe we get this townhouse that's, you know, pretty good. It's got great bones, great location. Um, and then maybe we renovate that cosmetically to, to more our taste over the longer term. So it's a more cautious option. And technically, it's actually a really good townhouse, but that was super picky. You know, it was great aspects. It was a good street, great privacy. Um, and and it, visually, it wasn't a really cookie-cutter one that, 
you know, would, would, you know, ages really badly. So, um, yeah, I think that's what high rates do. It makes people more picky. It makes people um, more cautious. Um, and so it's really a fight to quality, you know, and if, if you write under high rates, you, you, you will only take bets on things if you really back the, you know, them from a lifestyle point of view and also an investment point of view. And so it's a real danger time for things that, you know, have, don't have those qualities. Can I say that in Sydney, we saw exactly the same behavior back in sort of 2014 and 15, you know, so that was relatively early on in the last boom and, and interest rates were oh potentially around about what they are now, actually, because, you know, there was 10 years of sort of falls. Um, so potentially similar sort of level to what they are now. And we absolutely had clients that were making that decision between going further out to a bigger home or um, having to buy something that was absolutely unrenovated. This is before we had the pressures of, of building costs the way they are now um, and before we had chatter around rising interest rates as well. But that decision is is often a very legitimate and, and quite a common um fallback position is to go for a townhouse in these areas. So that's why, you know, the unit story in Sydney is complicated because then, you know, not far away from some of these, you get mega cities like, you know, bloody mascot, you know, you drive through there. It is like a meg. I mean, that's not what we're talking about here. And I think our buyers are actually just on that point around the mascot. I think buyers are a lot more educated now. Like I think, you know, when we're talking to clients who are looking at the apartment market, they say, yeah, I don't want to go anywhere near that type of high yeah. density like you know four yeah, but that or five might years be ago, the type of client that goes to you you know what i mean clearly they these still things still get built somebody buys them yeah they do but i i do think you know the building issues have been pretty well publicized you know a lot of people have maybe had that or had friends and have seen the growth of those and the differences in housing i think a lot of people have sort of seen these communities build and and, and the, the buildings age and think, look, I'm, I want an apartment, but I don't want to be in these pockets. I, I do, I do think maybe that maybe it's not, maybe it's a subset, but you know, I definitely think, you know, whereas before we were having to educate in a lot of detail around the issues around off the plan and high density and more supply, people are coming with those learnings. Maybe they're coming from, you know, more informed sources, but I think they're uh, our listeners and our listeners yeah, are totally not convinced a, by uh, now. <laughs> <laughs> maybe, maybe true. Ken, <laughs> So let's talk us through those um, yellow um, locations because, yes. you know, people can get hoodwinked by this, this sort of um, so, some green shoots in areas that, that may not be that um Yeah, that it could just be a blip. It could oh. be a blip. So, um, and, you know, the charts indicate that. So the Grampians uh, sample suburb there, uh, Horsham, we, you know, fairly low price there. We, um, you know, we're talking, what, uh, $370,000 uh, median for that area. Um, Mildura. As the next one, um, tea tree, tea tree gully, uh, and includes suburb such as tea tree gully. That's one that's been a bit of a darling on a lot of the metrics that I've been producing for a couple of years now. So it's been a, an investor favorite. Um, it's, um, 630, uh, now, um, last month or October. So this was November's figure was 630 prior to that. Uh, October 6.15. So it's having some strong growth uh, in in the last couple of months, but the listings volumes are still going up at a fairly significant rate. So, so hence where, why... where is that and why? what were the metrics? Um, so yeah, obviously the metrics that I'm using here are um, 
how many months has it been since its peak? So I've looked at the SA3 rolling 90-day median for houses. No, sorry. I mean, the you said that it was one of the darlings of, you know, for investments oh, for some time. for the investment. Yeah. Okay. Um, so where is it? For, is it in Victoria? Uh, no, no. It's, um, uh, Adelaide. It's an Adelaide right. suburb. Okay. So, um, it's, uh, so some of the metrics that made, made it continue to stand out over the past years was uh, falling inventory, so as people were discovering the place, no. um, fairly low uh, price, reasonable income, household in- income relative to house prices. So the affordability <laughs> metrics look good. All the rental data looked good and still do. Uh. Um, so if you look at vacancy rates and rental growth rates, et cetera, so your yields were good. Um, so it, it ticked a lot of those investor boxes, um, uh, and then it still had appeal because of its price. Still had appeal to a lot of people locally, first home buyers, etc. Yeah, and so now um, though so, you're seeing inventory rising. Is that driven by stock or driven by days on market? I uh, know I've got inventory slightly falling, but oh. it's it's in it in a, an environment where or a situation where listings volumes are still. Fairly significant, so it won't take too much for that demand just to ease off a little bit. Now, it's 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 a possibility that it could continue as green shoots here. It's just that I'm are these are the ones that I've got a lot less confidence right. saying it's going to charge into twenty twenty three. And a lot of that would be come down to who is actually buying there too, wouldn't it? You know, like if it's if it's really largely driven by investors, and that is way more um, vulnerable. Yeah. Than if it's driven by locals. Yes, and it's still turning up in all the, all of, of my investor reports as well. So I can see that the investors are still going to be drawn to it. Mm. Yep. Um, here's I think one the that's thing with investors. I, I there are some countercyclical investors, but the predominant amount of investors out there, especially under really tight borrowing capacities, where they're capped out. So the, the typical investor cohort's always trying to stretch their borrowing capacity. They're all capped. Like borrowing capacities are falling 25, 30%. So, well, they could have borrowed last year, even if they had buffers left over in terms mm. of more capacity, that's been wiped out. So, you need new investors into the market, and new investors will only come into the market when there's the FOMO. Like, investors just typically enter markets late, late. once they feel like they're, <laughs> they're missing out. Um, mm. And they'll sit on their hands because there's no desire to buy because there's not a lifestyle problem they're trying to solve. And so, I think you're right. Any areas that are typically driven by, more investors coming to the market, not first home buyers, um, are going to struggle because they're going to be mm. late to the party in terms of the bounce back in growth. Um, and so I think it's a really good point you make, Veronica. It's, it's really going to depend on who are the buyers in that marketplace right now? What can they afford? What are their incomes? How can they sustain higher interest rates? Is it a good option versus renting? Um, and if you start like, to see that that seesaw um, start to you know go more to actually, it's actually let's buy, even prices have come down you start to really see some support for the market. You've actually just, like my light bulb has just gone off in terms of like, this is why with Suburb Help, we talk about really investors need to find good local specialists who understand that local area and can buy the best possible asset in that local area for you, right? Whereas if you go to the sort of buyers agent that uses data to determine where to buy, you run the risk of buying in an area that then becomes overinflated because too many investors move into it. It's almost like you need to ask the local agents, how many interstate buyers agents are buying here at the rent? And if that answer is, oh, quite a lot, get, do not buy here right now. <laughs> <laughs> 
Absolutely. I mean, what do you think about it? So what if investors go into these areas because of high yield, right? And so then a lot of investors, um, you know, buyers, agents, brokers, I guess you more call them, right? Yeah. will go buy it because it's easy to be honest and they can do yeah. multiple transactions. So they can clip your ticket multiple times and it's not hard for them to do their job, right? They just literally go online, find that property on the no competition. They make an offer. They pretend that they bought it under market value. Um, and then they create this sort of, you know, there's multiple buyers agency in there because yields are high. So it's like, it makes sense. Easy sell to an investor, you know, positive cash flow. It's not going to cost you anything, right? Then they go there and then they completely shift the composition or the suburb where there was only 20% of the properties that are available for rent. Now there's 40% of the properties available for rent. So then rents will fall. And then, so then yields are falling. Um, and then the investors don't go there anymore because the buyers agents go, well, the yields aren't great because prices have gone up and yields have fallen. And so now you're having to sell these more expensive investment properties to home buyers who don't want to pay that. Um, and well, then you see the price with rental, rental volatility really kicks in above 40%. Uh, that percentage might even be smaller in a more remote location. So right. you know, saturation. Um, I've got one that is really interesting, the Great Lakes SA3, which includes Foster which yeah, is yeah. A, you know, a, a great spot for retirees. And it it's, it's a re relatively expensive um, area when you kind of look at surrounding regions, surrounding markets. Um, it's fallen by 24%, the median, the rolling SA3 90-day median. Uh, so it's fallen by over $200,000. So that's, that's interesting. Listings have gone up. The question now is, will demand? But it's been about a year since the peak. It's so, a long way ride from Sydney. Um, mm, you're talking it's a good four three, hour drive, four hours. I think. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Mm. We're actually, yeah, it's not uh, a commutable. It's not one of these, you know, and, no. and it'll be, you know, 25 years before a fast train goes there. Near, near well, it wouldn't there even or go there, would it? It would stop at Newcastle. No. Um, yeah. it, so it wouldn't go up there. Uh, so it's like your second wave C and tree changer went that far. Yep. Yeah, it's a retiree. Yep. It's a good retiree location. It always has been. I don't think it'll change from that. It might also suit the digital nomad. But, you know, I think a lot of digital nomads now are looking at Thailand. So <laughs> Yeah, why stay in the country? God, when you can go anywhere, say yeah. within a two or three hour time zone. Do you mm. know, there was an article in Domain a few weeks back that um, where they commissioned some research around the see and tree changes and their attitudes to, you know, whether they'll be going back to the cities or not. And and if I just quickly read you something, this is said, um, ninety four percent said that they who undertook the pandemic see or tree change were happy with the decision. However, their behaviour or their intended behaviour belied that because sixty eight percent were now planning to move back at some stage, twenty three percent expecting to do it in the next one or two years, and thirty per six already in the throes. And in addition, so this says, it says that 94 were happy, but however, 29% of those who moved found that coastal, regional or rural life just didn't meet their expectations and 20% were being summoned back to work in the office. So oh, wow. if, if you went that far on your sea change, cool. you know, and you call back in the office, you got no hope of staying there. Yeah. And if you're young, you probably get well, bored, you know, yes. yeah. if you're under 30. But a lot of people, you know, with COVID, it just drew, it drove a lot of these sort of, I guess it's sort of like, it's aspirational on one hand, but it's escapist um, sort of idea that, oh, my life's going to be better if I get out and, 
you know, it, and we all harbour these sort of ice cream liquor type, you know, you go on a holiday and you look in the windows of the local real estate agent and think, oh, wouldn't life be easy if I didn't have all this stress and everything? I think a lot of people jumped on that, but it's like so short term. <laughs> you know, when you, with that, when you look at that research, it says there's 68% planning a return at some point. Hmm. So I'm interesting to see how that pans out. They're the ones who, in that world in 2020, 2021, there was immense FOMO. And then they used that they got their capital city mindset that everything's a quite you know, I've got to get in the market. Ugh. And then they bought the poorer properties, the poorest streets, you know, the townhouse, the apartments, the real real rural locations that the locals don't want. And they paid over the odds um to get in the market. And they don't want to be there. They have to get back to the city. And there would definitely be those stories out there, right? Where they basically are a prison there because they they had their they saved up really hard. Maybe they got their 100 or 150 grand, right? And they put that in for the deposit, but then that got wiped out because of stamp duty. And then the the prices have come back um, and they want to come back. And so I think they're the ones who are really bought. They basically went down there and didn't try before they buy and got caught up in the FOMO and then didn't know what they were doing from an asset selection point of view. Um, are going to get really burnt, unfortunately. What I might do is um, an analysis of a lot of these locations that fit that bill and look at their last listing date to see if people are churning, see if the properties are churning. Oh, that could be our next suburb oh, help. That's um, a great episode. idea, Kent. And let's do oh. at least uh, two hours from the city, like yeah. to talk oh. about that, you know, those pockets. So maybe the Jarvis Bay sort of narrow pocket to the south. Well, maybe that's interesting. That 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 particular area, I think, is, um yeah, it's a, going through a bit of a challenge right now. Absolutely. Um, yeah, we've... um. Yeah, yeah, for lots of reasons, I, I think that's definitely going to happen. And um, two hours north of Sydney is a little bit hard because you get into Newcastle and we're sort of seeing uh, um, still buyers go up there, to be honest. Um, but it's it, there's a different there's a different momentum happening now. There's yeah. speculators um, yeah. because of the fast train talk. So um, it's, a, it's a big discussion yeah. point now. And Ken Lardin is almost like Rene Rifkin, you know, pumping up the Newcastle Talking about economy. Absolutely. With, uh, with every episode of Suburb Trends. <laughs> oh, it was funny. I was going to the gym at Ramwick one day and he pulled up. He was sitting in the back of his rolls and he looked me up and down and I felt dirty. <laughs> <laughs> was he going to hit you up for some property oh, advice? It was funny. Again? I thought, well, give me some advice first. Um, okay, <laughs> so um, a couple extra yellows. Uh, Richmond Valley Coastal Yarra, which includes Fitz suburbs like Fitzroy, um, Brisbane Inner East, Norman Park. So, again, um, they could surge, but Money. again, just slightly lower confidence. Borkham Hills and Karingai, which includes Pimble. Oh, I reckon so. I'd give you some stories on all, all those. Fitzroy, North Fitzroy, for example. I won't say the street or anything like that. Absolute dream property, dream frontage, north facing, where a big block, you know, um, great, you know, heritage features, you know, great neighbors. Um, this was a cracking property and it was, I looked at the price card, I thought, well, far out that if that price is a fall and that far in Melbourne, I would be shocked. Um, because it was like low one millions. This property went 25% above the price guide. It went Ugh. in three days. Um, and it had like, like 10 plus people wanting to buy it. My client was in it. Um, and they went, they went, what'd they go? They would have went 20% over the guide. Uh, 15, 20, and they were still nowhere near it. Like, um, and so, and then they went for another property the next week. Um, 
convinced them not to go for that because it was, you know, they were that wounded bull sort of story where they've just wanted to solve the pain. But, you know, fortunately got a property, you know, last week and still under competition, still above the guide. Um, but, you know, it wasn't, um, it, it was, so that would be supporting prices, you know, because you could already see that people are missing out on properties, right? Um, and they're already back into the suburb, not want to go through the pain, low listings, competitions building, the frustrated buyers starting to to build. Um, and the, the, the Balkan Hills areas also makes a lot of sense to me, that pinball area. Um, a lot of people don't want to go really regional, but then they still want a bigger house. But, uh, and that pocket there does suit, um, you know, sort of the family market and it's a good price point. In yeah, about 1.8. Yeah. Your typical price there, but Karingai's an expensive one. Obviously, you're looking at uh, high twos, three, uh, you know, because so, so, the blocks are so large. But yeah. on that Melbourne point, I did see a story um, of a fellow who um, d- did the sea change and moved back to Melbourne because he, he found Melbourne was much friendlier. He missed the culture. <laughs> well, the, you know, there is a... a like with anything, when we chase something else, we're letting go of something. And yeah. often people don't sort of really sit down and work out what they're letting go of when they're moving towards something. It's only when you get there that you sort of mm, realize that. Point. But it is interesting around the quoting. And certainly in auction areas, where a property is quoted is really critical for getting the competition and, and really getting the right buyers all lined up, right? And even for getting, if it's only one buyer, it's getting that one buyer in the door. You overquote something in a hot market, you know, you do ruin your campaign, you don't build up that competition, but you're going to find a buyer in a pretty easily. You overquote something in a slow market, buyers will, they won't go anywhere near it. They'll be Mm. thinking, I don't want to add 10% to that or whatever, right? So this is a problem for agents who want to do the right thing, but they can't if they actually want to do the right thing by their vendor. And that is... I, you know, I had lof- lots of off-the-record conversations with with agents around their quoting, um, the approach to quoting in this current market. If you remember, we interviewed Matt Hayson from Cobden and Hayson a few weeks back, maybe six episodes back or something, maybe eight episodes back. Smart guy. Even he talked about it. He talk- he's, you know, he's, a, he's smarter than your average bear. He talked about the importance of getting that quote right. So, and look, everyone plays a part in this. You know, I, I, I'm not an advocate for underquoting, but I understand why it happens. And buyers yeah. don't reward agents who quote accurately or make a mistake for that matter. And sometimes agents do make a mistake. Um, and so the lower quoted properties, if they're a good quality asset, they get competitive, as we've just been talking about. So it's no surprise to me that th- these properties are going 20, 25% over the guide because yeah. the guide has to be that low in this sort of market to entice all the buyers in to play the game. And so buyers, if you want agents to stop <laughs> underquoting, <laughs> you got Buckley's. <laughs> <laughs> but if you're looking for opportunity, just disregard what the agent is quoting for the moment. Exactly. Look at the property yourself and make your own mind up on value and then you'll see opportunity. Absolutely. And that's what the advice was to these clients. It's like, don't worry about the guide. Like what do your own research, look what else is selling, look at you know, what you can afford, look at the, the market and go, okay, actually, if I got that at that price, I'd be happy. Forget about what's, you know, because as soon as you start, especially on these type of properties, because the reality is everyone else is knowing it's underquoted as well. And yeah, um, yeah and you're going to be under competition. And that's and so uh, you better put your, your uh, foot forward. I think in that's the first situation, they were a little bit hesitant um, 
doing that, then the next time they're the ones who are on the front foot and they're the ones ultimately that bought it. Um, yeah. and, uh, so I think you've, you've definitely got to have that mentality kind of like you would in a hot market, in a down market. You just got to be super specific on what you buy, um, and really be patient for quality. Yep. Anything else to add there, Kent? Uh, no, I think I've, I've summed it up. The, probably the biggie is the, the under 1.5 mil was dominating this list and mm. the under 1.5 mil dominated the uh, initial, initial list, which was the um, you know, price performance and how much they've fallen since their peak. So, uh, yeah, as I said, I, I think affordability has taken on a whole new meaning. Interesting. Well, we're at the cusp of a whole new year, so it'll be very interesting to see how this all pans out. No one would have really guessed well, the last three years, what, 2020, 2021, 2022, so full of surprises, all of them. Oh, I can't wait to see what this year holds for us. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's kind of normal. I think everything that we're seeing is just clinging back to, heading back to Absolutely. normal. Absolutely. And what is normal? Well, you know, <laughs> you can find a house if you want one. Yeah, you know, just this the shit doesn't sell quickly. It doesn't sell for lots of money, <laughs> and the good stuff sells quite easily. And you just got to be vigilant and diligent in your search. If you have a question that you'd like us to answer in an upcoming Q&A episode, you can send us a voicemail or written question via the website, theelephantintheroom.com.au, or you can email us directly at questions at theelephantintheroom.com.au. If you like what you're hearing, please share this episode with others you feel would benefit. And while you're at it, why not leave us an iTunes review? Five stars would be great. I know that sounds a bit cringy, but we have it on good authority that every review helps make it easier for other people to find out about us and hear what our amazing guests have to say.